Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Set a clear goal with specificity because taking action is critical, but don't take stupid action. Stupid action just means you're aiming at something and you haven't even set the goal yet. So go slow to go fast. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Spencer Hillegoss. How are you doing, Spencer? Doing great, Joe. Really an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am glad and I'm looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Spencer. He's a co-founder of Madison Investing. He's an active syndicator, real estate investor, and executive leader. Retired from his technology career of 13 years just four weeks ago to go full-time in multifamily real estate. Has co-sponsored deals totaling more than 3,000 units and $328 million based in Almeda, California. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, happy to, Joe, and thanks again for having me. I live out in the Bay Area, California. For those folks that are not familiar with Alameda, it's this little island that is totally awesome, <laughs> couched right between Oakland and San Francisco. So I've born and raised here, but outside of moving around the country a couple times, this is where I have done most of my career growth. So I started in a real estate family. My dad was a broker, one of the top residential real estate brokers in the country, actually, back in the 90s. We can talk more about that if conversation takes us later. But I didn't go down that path. I really ran away from that after kind of seeing what that entailed. And he forced me to, to run all these open houses when I was a teenager. And that didn't leave a great taste in my mouth. So I ran into the local business. The local business here in Silicon Valley is technology. So that is how I ended up going into this really fast track journey, starting with the big corporate tech track of getting thrust into leading large teams of over 200 people at the age of 26 years old, way in over my head at the time in hindsight. Great learnings, a lot of scars that I look back on now fondly, but five software companies later, I came to realize that there's this wealth strategy that I was very just subconsciously or unconsciously easing into. 
And I noticed everyone around me was doing this too. And it really just came down to this simple fact, Joe. People think that when they join tech companies out here, that they're going to get a meaningful share of that early stage company equity. And they might be able to win that wonderful lottery that affords them a huge exit, a huge liquidity event sometime in the future. And somehow that magical moment is going to give them a get out of jail free pass on all their prior sins financially. And so I finally woke up when I stumbled my way in to a real estate tech company about four years ago. And I feel very fortunate to have done that because a mentor kind of nudged me toward it, not knowing that it would end up being something that motivate me and educate me rapidly to pivot out of this technology career into multifamily, into syndication, because that software company was very good to me. It was a rapid boot camp, if you will. I became a loan originator. I built a large team of loan originators. We did over $4 billion in loans for fix and flip single family homes. We were doing 600 loans per month. So super high volume, but I saw what flipping was and I didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> it was just a lot of work, the most active of active. So we really started off just passively investing and realizing, wow, this is working well. This is a wealth strategy. And over time, we were drawn into many of the other appealing parts of multifamily. And we've now built to the point where it's not a side hustle anymore. After three years of building it up, it's now become a thriving, growing business. And I'm just so humbled by the fact that people want to talk to us, want to work with us. And it's a blast to wake up and talk about this stuff every day and come on a podcast like this and talk to you, Joe. You've said we a lot of times. Who's we? We is my wife, my better half, and, and also business partner, Jennifer Mormoto. Okay. With Jennifer, your business partner, is that your co-founder? She is my co-founder. Okay. What do you all do in terms of roles and responsibilities? Yeah. As you can imagine, I think that that was a little blurry when we started. I'd like to think that it's just like building a clean corporate business plan <laughs> for a financial year, but it didn't start that way. It was really a matter of aligning to strength. So if you had to align against core roles, I would say that Jennifer, my wife, she is the digital marketing leader. Oh, Jennifer's your wife. Okay. I thought there was two women involved here, a co-founder, Jennifer, plus your wife, someone else. But Jennifer is your wife plus your co-founder. Yes, sir. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. I wasn't tracking. Okay. No, no. I explained it poorly. So Jennifer, my better half, and she's also my business partner. So she's a marketer by trade. So she has been doing that actually in kind of the, the consumer packaged goods CPG industry for her whole career. And now she leads digital marketing for a pretty large company. And so she does that stuff. She's very strategic and that's her strength. So I bring in operations knowledge. I bring in business development and scaling. That's really what I've done. So we kind of carve the lines there, but I will say we also kind of tend to overlap on some of the analytics, on some of the back office stuff, on some of the accounting, the financial stuff, but we also, we lean on outsourcing as one typically should. So we use some relationships and partnerships for that stuff as well. What was the first deal you all bought? Oh man, I love talking about this one because it was before we jumped to true multifamily. We bought a duplex. It's local in California. It was way too much money for the cash flow generated. And this is a great learning around how to set better goals. So we bought a $430,000 duplex because we live in the Bay Area. And for those that are in the Midwest and South, they're going to sit there with your jaw on the floor probably because they're going, why the heck would you ever do that? It's going to appreciate it already has, and we're thankful for that. It is positive cash flowing from day one, but if I could go back. It was positive it, cash flowing day one? It was. How, yes. how much was it bringing in day one? 250 250 Overall. Dollars. Yeah, 250 bucks. So it's an appreciation play with just enough to cover the monthly. So we look back at that as our get on base move, but you better believe 
in hindsight, if we could have done that over again, we hadn't gotten clarity on the fact that we wanted that passive income. We wanted that cash flow on a monthly basis. So we spent too much of our cash. How much you invest in that deal? Oh, man. We're talking probably a little over 100K. Okay. So about 20, 25% down payment? Yep. Okay. And what's it worth now, though? I'm sure there's a positive side of that. There's a story there. Honestly, I haven't slowed down enough to go back and price it again. But what year did you buy it? I think we got it back in 2016. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it wasn't that long ago. All right. And is it still making about 250 a month? Yeah, it's one of the steadiest things we have. It's $250 a month on a $100,000 investment. Woo! <laughs> you feel brilliant if you look at those numbers. Is that about a little over 3% return, I think? Glorious. And it was yeah. funny because in hindsight, there was so much competition for it too. And you look at the numbers now on how you analyze a very complex, larger property, which is where we focus now. And I'm like, that was a function of not truly understanding yet what it means to solve for cash flow and just targeting a monthly income number. Once we got that clarity, we went down through the very logical stumbling blocks and path that people tend to go down. We went to the Midwest, we bought some turnkeys and we did all that. And we then realized, hey, our property manager headaches that we had locally, which we do have some, just because we buy them out of state with a more established property manager, that doesn't mean that they go away. And so we still had to occasionally get on the phone. We still do now because we didn't sell our Midwest turnkeys. We end up still having to pick up the phone for an occasional issue. And, and I'm like, that is not passive because ultimately now what we want to do is try to invest as much as we can, both on the active and passive side and be able to scale our time because we have mm-hmm. two young kids. My wife still works a full-time W2 job. So I'm the full-time one on our business. And we have to figure out a balance to still have a full life and not spend all of our available time just doing stuff that is ticky-tacky administrative stuff for properties. When we you are see, big focus now is on multifamily. You self-manage that duplex? Nope. We use a property manager. Okay. So duplex 2016, that was your first investment. And then what? And then right after that, we went out and bought some turnkeys. And I think I was literally sitting there. I mean, I think I was in the hospital with my wife having our second kid when I was trying to negotiate on one of the loans for these things because we did it all in such quick succession. So we went out and bought some turnkeys with a local turnkey provider I ended up connecting with. And we were one of their first clients, which was a red flag initially for me, but I was kind of able to back channel, confirm that they were reputable people. They operate with integrity. And we bought a handful of turnkeys. I think we got them in in, uh, Kansas City. You think you got them? Do you not know what city you bought them in? Kansas City, Joe. <laughs> uh, Kansas City. I was like, you truly oh. are passive. They're in the Midwest. I'm pretty sure they're in a state close to Missouri or Kansas. I'm not exactly sure, though. As one of the true-to-form Californians would say, it's not California. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not that jaded. But um, <laughs> it's uh, in Kansas City, and we got five turnkeys out there. Yeah, five in a row? Or at one time? In a row. In a row. Wow. Over what period of time did you buy five? Very tight. It was like four or five months in total. Okay. And how much down per property on average? Now, this was a little bit more digestible than the 430. Sure. This was a range of 50 to 60K total per property. Okay. And you had, let's see. I think it was something like 15 to 17K per property. So we've been very- Oh, 50 to 60 all in price. And then you were putting in about 17,000 of your own money per property. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because, right. I mean, shockingly, 
we were able to get loans on these things. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so we took that opportunity. The rates were still good. So we ended up doing that and they're cash flowing well to this day. They are C-class. So when you go C-class, as you know, it took longer to stabilize for a couple of them. Three of the five stabilized very nicely out the gates. Two of them, you just have those headaches of higher vacancy. You, you get a tenant placement and then something happens and then you have to get another one in. You live in the Bay Area. This is not the Bay Area or this is not California, as your people over there would say. Why go with a local turnkey provider who does not have a track record when you have others in that area who have track records, given that you're not anywhere close to where your homes will be? So there's probably a caveat necessary there. So we connected with a locally managed management team for this turnkey provider that's based in the Bay Area. But they themselves actually have a very deep track record of a turnkey business and a flipping business across multiple different Midwest and South geographies. So their footprint is actually pretty established. But they had connected and integrated a already established property management company that is based in that geography. So they basically bought and brought in that established property management. And then they created this turnkey offering because they already had a lot of strength on the rehab front because they were just such savvy flippers. And they realized there's a huge opportunity to go and offer these turnkey properties. And they kind of hit it from an angle of offering the right housing to help those in need. And it was improving communities. And we are very values-based folks. We care about that stuff. So that, that resonated with us in addition to the financial returns. So that's kind of what drew us to them. Okay. And about how much are you making per property with those five every month? 250 per property. Okay. All right. <laughs> the numbers are more favorable in, in that case. Yep. And what is that? Okay. So it's about 17.6% return, assuming you got 17K all in and you're making 250. All right. So 3% on the original duplex. Now you've shot up to about 17.5% cash on cash on these five. Life is good. You got these five properties plus the duplex. You learned what you don't want to do and what you want to do. Why did you shift? You know, I think it was primarily the speed and time. As an avid listener of your podcast and others, you hear a lot about time compression. And we talk so much about that in goal setting when I'm coaching other people too. Because I went into this thinking, I'm going to quote unquote retire in 15 years or 10 years from my tech career because we will have generated enough passive income to be able to do that confidently. We ran those numbers. I didn't like the outcome. The build a single family empire roadmap is one that takes just more time. Some people can go and hit it really hard, but after signing all those individual property docs and loan documents, property by property, you sit there and you just have to ask yourself, isn't there a smarter way to do this? So on the time component, that was the first determinant was how do we cut this in half at a minimum? How do we cut 15 years down to seven and a half or something like that? Mm -hmm. So second one was going to be the time to management. And I realized we still do have to manage the manager and we still do have to think about this stuff. And we'd get these emails from our C-class property managers and they would say, hey, just to let you know, we have this other issue coming up. And I was like, I don't necessarily think that the frequency and kind of the tiny administrative nature of some of these questions would be coming up quite as much if we look up market. At least you get that economies of scale thing when you go up to very large properties. So it was really those two motivators, Joe. In addition to the fact, I started to dig deep into the tax benefits of the multifamily side and commercial real estate. And I realized depreciation still exists very much so in residential, but it's not quite as heavy hitting as in the multifamily stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did you buy next? 
Well, so next we actually just started analyzing and looking at and beefing up my ability to go and analyze the multifamily project. So even before that, the kind of the one comment I wanted to make was I signed up for a couple underwriting coaching program because I know very well how to analyze deals within residential, but I didn't have that skill set yet. Which one did you learn the most from? Which coaching program on underwriting? Mm-hmm. I think he deserves credit for putting that darn calculator together. That's why I asked. Yeah, whoever it is, they deserve credit. I think Michael Blanc, Michael Blanc's SDA calculator, that thing is worth every penny. It's a nice template to get in and just quickly get into grind on deals. And you're able to pull it up, really get your own criteria that you can set. And then you can get just nerdy. You can get super nerdy and go in and start knowing what you don't know and then starting the real learning from there. So it's just worth mentioning that because I don't think it's necessarily as, I think the learning from the first property, that duplex, and then the, the, the turnkey really, really hit home for me. This is not something that I want to rush on. I'd rather measure twice to cut, actually maybe measure three or four times figuratively before you go and cut once when it comes to making investments into multifamily. So mm-hmm. then we started to go and invest passively. So one of the first ones, because when we first started, we were not accredited. We were barely barely not there. And then we became accredited. So we had to go and find deals that were actually going to meet our status. So we had to be more selective. We had to go and reach out for a bunch of different sponsors and, and kind of try to find those deals that would allow us to invest. How'd you find sponsors to reach out to? It started just with bigger pockets. Hitting those forums is incredibly helpful. There's so many people that are willing to give their time and their expertise. And if you just track the people that are adding value on there, Usually you can ping them directly with a direct message and that's as simple as it is. And you say, hey, I noticed that you're adding all this really great education and coaching on here. Do you mind if I ask, do you guys do deals and who do you accept into your list? Mm-hmm. And that was it. It was really just reaching out to people and trying to get on as many lists that would accept non-accredited investors as possible and then being able to look at the deals. But there was also an element, of course, of fellow students within the coaching programs that I had used and just hitting them up and actually just building a relationship with them and having that very organically become something that I feel very open and willing to share. Hey, another person says, I'm putting this deal together. Do you want to come invest in then taking it from there? Okay. So how many deals do you passively invest in? Now we've done 10. So it's gone to the point where the speed of analyzing them is so much better because as soon as you have a framework, like everything else in life, the lesson I got from my technology career was you put together a simple framework and over time, it allows you to move more quickly, whether that's scaling a team from one person to a team of 50, or that that's making a decision about going to invest in a new piece of software for your business. But in this case, it's going to make an investment. So the whole framework that we all talk about all the time of operator market deal, that is something that is really abstract at a high level, but I got really specific with in terms of frameworking that out. And so now it just lives in the spreadsheet for me, even 60, 70 questions that I have just on the operator that helps me build confidence that we're about to go make a good decision with our own capital before we move forward and do that. So I think that I wanted to hone in on that decisioning process because I think that's something that a lot of people tend to bypass. It deserved my attention and I'm so glad that I got the scars from the residential stuff to really truly understand the value of putting that together. 60 to 70 questions. How many of those are you actually asking the operator versus you're able to find out through your own research without having a Q&A session? It's got to be realistically probably five or 10 questions that you need to ask the operator verbally. What are some of them? I would say the most compelling one that ends up driving the best discussions and the most revealing qualities about the operator's track record is the thing around failure response 
just a very nerdy branding, but here's what it means to me. Failure response to me means I've worked with plenty of entrepreneurs in the technology industry who start companies and they either win big or they fail and they go down burning in flames in a very dramatic way. And in multifamily, there's a lot of new operators that are amazing, but they don't have exits yet, let's say. Maybe they've kicked off a bunch of different deals. They haven't had a five-year exit on their syndications and you want to believe in them and you see their deals. So how do you figure out, do they have the grit? So what I asked them is, walk me through a time that you have failed utterly on a business initiative or a project or something that was your core focus professionally. What happened? How did you respond? What were the key stumbling blocks that actually caused you to slow down or stop altogether to fail? And how did you overcome that? Because what I'm trying to tease out with that type of question is their failure response. Because if they're sitting there with my capital and at 50K, then I want to know they're holding the wheel of this figurative car are they going to get distressed? Are they going to have a steady hand under duress? It's just a discussion. And like any other framework show in life and in business, there are a set of guidelines. I don't sit there like, oh, you hit my checkbox today. Therefore, we're going to move forward with the deal. It's more a matter of just informing the whole picture and making a risk-informed decision on, are they going to have a common sense grit about them? If you can, think back to when you've asked that question with the operators that you've invested with, tell us about the worst answer that you've gotten to that question. The worst answer is, I can't think of one. Okay. You've gotten that answer? Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, yes. It's the answer basically saying, I always hit home runs and, 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 and I'm, I'm lucky to say that that's never happened to me. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy that. <laughs> I just don't buy that because you get to the point where you're sitting there in life, unless you're like 18 years old and, and just out of college and, and, and maybe you're a prodigy. I don't know. I can't think of the right profile or person or background that could actually say that and back it up, but I can't. Everyone goes through challenge in life, whether as personal or professional, similar to a job interview. I'll give a new college grad a chance to tell me a story about a project that they did if they don't have any job experience to speak to. So in life, if you're talking to someone who's over 30 or, or older, I'm sure they have something they can talk about <laughs> that, 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 that's been hard for them. I want to get too personal here, but if I didn't have an example to speak to, what I would probably bring up on a personal level is the fact that I lost my younger brother to cancer when he was about 15 years old and I watched my dad's brokerage fail and our family had to downsize completely. It was an extraordinarily challenging financial situation for my family caused originally by the death of the brother. I was departing college when that happened and I had to somehow figure out how to get in the right headspace to go support myself in the working world. So people could get however creative they want when they want to address a question like that. But the point is you're still investing with people. And if you're going to go put your money into a crowdfunding platform, you're not necessarily going to go and have the ability to always ask that question to a human. And that's also why you can put in a lower minimum. So it just depends. How do we and how do you as an investor want to decide to work with people? What matters to do in building that trust? Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh man, I knew I was going to get that question when I came on here. You said you listened to the show. I I ask it pretty much every show. (laughs) It even has that cool sound right before it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would say go slow to go fast. And what I mean by that is you should slow down and take as much weekend time as you need to set a clear goal with specificity because taking action is critical, but don't take stupid action. Stupid action just means you're aiming at something and you haven't even set the goal yet. So go slow to go fast is the best advice I can give you. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? 
Yeah, hit me. All right, first quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What deal have you lost money on? Oof. Well, I would say that first one. It was the $430,000 duplex wonder. Have you lost money on that? In the short term, right? Because you're basically cash out of pocket. So it's the closest thing that I can come to, to losing money on a deal. Best ever deal you've done? Oh boy. I would say two deals ago, it was actually a co-sponsorship deal that we did. And we ended up growing rapidly in our group. It was a large apartment community. And we were able to help dozens and dozens of people, more than we'd ever helped before, to get into that deal as limited partners. And we were really proud of that. Best ever way you'd like to give back to the community? Right now, my absolute favorite is just coaching on a pro bono basis, on a weekly basis. We also give charitably, financially. But I would say that the most fulfilling one is just coaching and mentoring people because it's something I've done for most of my corporate career and it's something that I get pinged often on these days. I don't have a formal coaching program, but coaching people on a weekly basis is very, very fulfilling for me and I love doing it. Best ever resource you use? I would have to say, this is pretty self-serving, but I would say, but your book, Joe. I mean, it's just, it, it, <laughs> I, I promise I wasn't paid by Joe to say this. Joe's syndication book was one that I read cover to cover. And when I first got into this stuff, I read two dozen different books. And Joe's book basically combined six or seven different books of value into one. So I got to give credit to Joe for writing that great book. Well, glad to hear that. And what's the best place best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Just our website, madisoninvesting.com. They can also reach out to me, Spencer at madisoninvesting.co. Thank you so much for talking to us about how you've gotten to this point, your thought process, lessons learned on that initial duplex. Then you got those five turnkey properties, and then you and your wife made the decision to focus on larger deals. And you talked about why from cutting the goal in half time frame to just time management dealing with the properties and the tax benefits. And then I really like on the first one, one of the lessons that you mentioned is target a monthly income number prior to putting money into a property because then that will influence what type of property that you purchase. It's just about being intentional. Then love the question about the failure response that you mentioned. So walk me through a time where you have failed utterly. What happened? How did you respond? If people can't own up to their mistakes in the past, and they're certainly not going to own up to mistakes. Well, most likely they won't own up to mistakes in the future. No absolutes, I guess, but most likely. So it's good indication. So thanks for sharing your insights. Hope you have the best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure.